I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Earlier in the service, we were singing about joy, unspeakable joy, amazing joy, incredible joy. And I've got a question for you today on this Sunday of Advent where we are focusing on joy. Are you living a life of joy? Would somebody describe you as a joyful person? As I was studying and reading uh, this week, I saw several commentators that said, if Christians have joy in their heart, sometimes they forget to tell their face that they should be joyful. We should be known as a joyful people because we have hope. We have the hope of Jesus in our minds and in our hearts. It's our passage today is from Philippians chapter 4, and the overarching theme of the whole book of Philippians is joy. But as you will soon realize, the man who's writing this is not in a joyful situation. He has experienced hardship. He has experienced suffering. Just as Jesus experienced suffering in life, we will too, but we should still be a people marked with joy. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and I want to read verses 2 through 9 completely, and then we're going to work our way through our passage today. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. I entreat Eudoia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. God, we pray that this morning we would be reminded of your joy, of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this would be a time of encouragement for us as we see life for what it is, knowing that there will be trials and tribulations that we face. But Lord, I pray that you would lift our eyes to the cross of Calvary, where Jesus gave his life for us to become our ultimate source of joy. So God, I pray this morning that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. God, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And Lord, that you would build up the body of Christ this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Joy is a word in the Advent season that we throw around a lot, but we make some assumptions whenever we talk about joy. Culturally, if we talk about something that brings you joy, a lot of times that means going out and buying something, doing some retail therapy to make yourself feel good for a minute, but then that goes away whenever something else happens. Joy is something that is much deeper rooted than just an emotion. Joy is a condition of our heart, a condition of our heart that reflects our belief in God. It is an attitude of our heart. J.I. Packer says that joy is not an accident of temperament or unpredictable providence. Joy is a matter of choice. Joy is a matter of choice. We do not drift into joy. We don't just wake up one morning and decide that we're all of a sudden going to become joyful. You could even argue that joy is a spiritual discipline, as Paul is going to explain to us this morning. Over my time in ministry, I've talked to people who have struggled with depression, anxiety, or simply just not feeling fulfilled in life. I want to tell you today that God has given you everything that you need to live a life of joy. God's given you everything that you need. Now, I need to put a caveat in here before we continue because I want to very clearly and publicly say that we understand that there are uh, issues that require medication, that require doctors, uh, that deals with depression and anxiety. One of my closest friends, I was talking to him last week, and he's struggled with depression uh, for years and his uncle suddenly passed away, and at his funeral, his, his body went into a seizure, and they were, he was taken to a hospital where he was treated, and he's got a long road to recovery there. That's not the worry that we're talking about here, but this worry is a condition of our lives where we become focused on the problems and the issues around us, and we lose sight of who our Savior is. The Apostle Paul is writing the letter of Philippians from prison. When I think of a joyful place, I don't think of prison. But Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell. Paul understood that joy goes far beyond your immediate circumstances and surroundings in life when it is rooted in something bigger than yourself. At times, we miss out on the perspective of a wide-range view of who God is and who we are, and we focus on the suffering that may be present. But any suffering that we experience in life, though it may seem like it lasts a long time, is temporary, and we have to be reminded of that. So the first thing that I want you to see in the text today is that there are thieves of joy. There are thieves of joy, right? At the beginning of this passage, he talks about an argument that happens, but a lot of times comparison can be a thief of joy. We don't know exactly what this argument was about, but what we do understand is that in the world that we live, it is very easy for us to compare ourselves to somebody else by things that they either post online, things that we talk about, things that we see. We can very easily see something else that someone has, and we can covet that thing. Our hearts and our minds can be so easily distracted and fall into this trap of comparison. We may even see how God is speaking to someone or using someone, and we can become jealous of that. We can covet that in our life. But what about conflict? There's a thief of joy that we see in verses 2 and 3. Conflict has come into the church, and it has driven a wedge between some faithful servants of God, and Paul addresses that here. 
In verse 2, he says, I entreat Eudoia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So in order for an argument to be brought up and to be listed in the scripture for us, it probably had to be a pretty substantial argument. These two women who are referred to in this passage, we don't know exactly who they were. We just know their names. These were common names, but these were prominent leaders in the church because Paul refers to them by their first names and they would be known by that identification. They had common names, but they had value to the kingdom of God. Conflict can be a thief of joy. Conflict can be a way that our perspective can change. And instead of focusing on the mission and the vision that God has given us, we are now focused on the conflict. When we live in a self-absorbed way, our perspective is limited and that can do damage to the body of Christ. Can we be honest for just a second and say that at times we worry about ourselves more than other people? At times, we worry more about what's going on in our life, and we can turn a blind eye to somebody that may even be in the body of Christ that's suffering. We need to be very aware of what's going on in each other's lives. From the context of this argument that Paul is talking about, these are dear sisters in the Lord who have value in the kingdom of God. But I want you to notice one word in verse 3. He says, I ask you also, those who have labored, those who have labored with me in the gospel together. Because of this conflict that has come in, these two ladies are no longer striving together for the gospel. Instead, they're worried about this argument and this conflict that is happening. A few years ago, Pastor Tim and I went to Alberta High School and we did a leadership training uh, with a football team there. And he brought an activity with him that I'd never seen before that I thought was really neat, okay? So we came in and we gave the, the football team these uh, there were probably 30 or so, uh, eight, eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper that had pictures on them. And those pictures related together. Okay, you'd start, it was called a zoom puzzle. So you'd start with a very wide angle of something and you kind of slowly zoom in and zoom in and zoom in. Okay, you understand the concept? So in the first, in the first picture, there was a picture of an airplane that was kind of back from afar. And then as you got a little bit closer, you couldn't see the whole plane. And then you could just see a window and then it zoomed in on uh, a man that was, sitting in the chair and he had a book open and as it kept zooming in and zooming in and zooming in, all you could see was something that was happening in the book that he was reading. And if you started there, you would have no idea what reality was. That that thing that was happening was fictional. That it wasn't even, the, that it wasn't even real. So there are times where we need to understand that when we are experiencing anxiety and conflict and fear and thieves of joy, that makes us zoom in on problems that seem a lot larger than they appear. Makes them seem like they are out of control. And here's the deal, it can happen gradually. It can happen gradually. As that Zoom puzzle was laid out from picture to picture, you could easily see what was happening but if you quit paying attention for just a second, you totally lose sight of where you were. And the same happens to us. There are enough problems that come from outside of the church that we don't need to fabricate them inside of the church. When we are seeking after God in the right way, we're not living out of a place of pride or selfish ambition. Instead, we are living sacrificially in community 
with one another. We're not comparing ourselves or our giftings or comparing our giftings against one another. Instead, we are linking arms together for the mission that God has called us to in the local expression of the church. Another thief of joy is fear of embarrassment. Have you ever done something that you didn't want somebody else to find out about? I think these two ladies that are having this conflict and this argument were hoping not everybody would know until Paul put their names in black and white in a letter that we're reading 2,000 years later. Everybody knows about it. There's no escaping that. But there's times where we feel like we make a mistake and we want something to be hidden. But there's a clear biblical command for us to confess our sins to one another. So here in verse 3, Paul says that there is a third party that needs to be brought in to help bring them out of this conflict so that it can be resolved and they can continue toiling together for the sake of the gospel. If they could only come to the conclusion, they'd be able to work together again. I think the greatest thief of joy for us today is listed in verse number 6, where Paul tells us not to be anxious about anything. Anybody deal with anxiety today? Anybody had some anxious moments over the last couple years? I told the first service, every Zoom meeting I've been in since the beginning of 2020, everybody's gotten in and talked about how anxious everybody else was. That was adding to my anxiety hearing about how everybody else was anxious. Are y'all with me? <laughs> We're all anxious. Let's just let's let's acknowledge that together. But whenever we zoom in on that anxiety, All we're pointing to is how out of control the world is because you're not in control of it and I'm not in control of it. I think we're better off for that. But the creator of heaven and earth is holding the earth in the palm of his hand and we need to be reminded of that. The world is changing at a more rapid pace than it ever has before. We're living in an information age to where if something happens on the other side of the world, we know about it in an instant. What if that's not healthy for us? (laughs) What if we're not created to hold all of the world's problems on our shoulders? What if there was a creator who was in control of all of those things? What if we believed that? Maybe we wouldn't sit at home and feast on negativity all day and become more anxious. And we were then set free to do the work that God has for us to do. R.C. Sproul says, it is anxiety that robs us of our joy. And what is anxiety but fear? Fear is the enemy of joy, and it is hard to be joyful whenever we're afraid. It's hard to be joyful whenever we're afraid. You know what else fear is at the root of? Anger. If we're mad about something, we're usually afraid of something else. So if fear is sparking anxiety and fear is sparking anger, we need to avoid being afraid. Because if we're afraid and we're living in anxiety, Ultimately, that's showing a lack of faith, showing that we don't believe that God really is in control. Okay, get this. We're in this Christmas season where we're a little bit more materialistic maybe than we are at other times of the year. The more and more comfortable we become and the more and more we acquire, the more and more we have to maintain. And the prison cell that we're building up around us is on maintaining everything that we have acquired. What if the point of life was not to acquire all of those things and have bigger homes and larger plots of land? What if God had a mission for us to go and make disciples? Did you know that Jesus didn't build his kingdom in buildings and statues like Herod was doing? 
Jesus came to build His kingdom on the hearts of men. Jesus came to build His kingdom on our hearts. So instead of working for stuff, we should be working because we love God and God has given us a mission. That's why in John chapters or in Matthew chapter six, Jesus tells us not to worry. God is our provider. Jesus said none of us can extend a single day of our lives by worrying. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said. He said, there's enough things for you to be anxious about today. You don't need to be worried about the future. I heard somebody explain worrying like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't have anywhere to go. It just gives you something to do. Warren Wiersbe points out that the word for anxiety in verse 6 is the Greek word merit meneo. It means to be pulled in different directions. I want you to picture this. You're a Christian. You're saved by God's grace. You have a Savior. You believe that God is who He says He is. Your spirit is pulling you in one direction because you know that God is in control. But when you see the fallen nature of the world around you, it pulls you in that direction to be worried about that. This idea of anxiety is literally talking about splitting your soul in two. But instead, we have to put our faith and our trust into the creator of heaven and earth who holds the world in the palm of his hand. If only God had an answer for worry. But wait, he does. He gives us an answer for worry. He even warns us against worrying. We are commanded not to worry. Now look, my grandmother, I love her. I love my grandmother. I was talking, every time I talk to her, she says that her spiritual gift is worrying, and I tell her that that's not in the Bible. Okay, but she sits around and she worries. She worries about me. I appreciate her worrying because that drives her to pray for me. But my grandmother worries about so many things that are happening. Look, I'll go and visit my grandmother, and she'll ask me about things that I have, I don't know. I just make up answers for conversation, okay? <laughs> but she'll, she'll ask me questions about I read an article of this missionary from the IMB. Do you know who they are? I have no idea who they are, Nona. I love you. I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation, but no, I don't know. She's asking me about the, the water department in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. I don't know what's going on over there. I have no idea, but she is bound and determined that she's going to solve the problem from her nursing home, okay? And she sits and she worries about those things. We're called not to worry. We're called to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And some of you may be saying, wait a minute, now some of the things that I'm worrying about are a little bit deeper than that. And I just want to sympathize with you for just a minute because this worry that we're talking about is not a medical condition where you are worried or you're tormented in your mind. The worry that we're talking about is just being rooted in fear of the unknown, of things that are going on in life. And the answer to that is to look at the source of joy so that's the second thing I want you to see in the text today. In verse 4, the source of joy. Remember, as Paul is concluding this letter to the Philippians, he does so by giving a masterful list of practical application. And I love whenever Paul does this because he gives us a lot of quick hits, but there's a lot of deep truths behind the way that he gives us these lists. If we're to look at the entire letter of Philippians, we would see time and time and time again of reasons that we come together to be joyful together. A joyful church is not a church that's fighting for preferences, but one that is living on mission to make disciples. Paul says in chapter 2 that we are made joyful when we come together in service to one another and to serve the kingdom of God. Is that not why we exist? 
to serve one another, and to serve the kingdom of God. We are made joyful when we receive brothers and sisters who are serving God, even when they may be in physical danger. In chapter 1, he talks about Epaphroditus, who is serving God to the extent that he nearly died for the work of Christ. And Paul says we, we should receive him with all joy. Does that not sound like our international missionaries that we've been praying for and that we've been giving to? Whenever we support them, we are receiving them well. We are sending our prayers. We're sending our treasures to them to sustain them in the mission to see Jesus proclaimed all over the world because they are living on mission for the gospel. Notice the source of joy that Paul points to in verse number four. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The source of joy is the Lord. The source of joy is the Lord. We rejoice in Him, not in favorable circumstances, not even in only His blessings. We don't rejoice in what God can do for us. We rejoice in who God is. Our joy is rooted in Christ and no one else. No one, including the enemy, can steal your joy if it is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nobody can take that away from you. He is the satisfier of our souls. If anyone knows what it's like to experience hardship in life, it's the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about who he was before, he, before God appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He was a guy that had status. He had power. He had a lot of money in the bank, but God struck him down. And Paul went from somebody that was very powerful to somebody that was very weak and relying on other people to take care of his needs. I want you to think about that. Paul didn't for a second hesitate because of this situation that God put him in. No, what does the scripture say? He retreated to learn from the disciples, to learn from people who were in the faith. And he carried on to carry out this calling that God had for him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a summary of what Paul went through. And I think that we need to read this and understand that he still says, Rejoice! Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Three times I was beaten with rods. Rejoice! Once I was stoned. Rejoice! Three times I was shipwrecked. Rejoice! A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, rejoice." And apart from those things, there's the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now look, I'm not assuming that Paul was a robot here. I think he had emotions because he's a human being just like you and I. There's times where we like to build these biblical characters up to these larger-than-life reality people. Can I tell you Moses had anxiety when he went to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go? Yeah, he had faith that God was going to do something, but that was probably not an easy thing to get him in the room to say those words. He even tried to give God excuses so he wouldn't have to do it. All of those things that we just read about what Paul experienced in life, I'm sure he was mourning those things in the moment. He was not doing well with those things in the moment. He was worried about his own safety. 
But guess what? Even in the midst of worrying, he was obedient to what God was calling him to do. Even in the midst of worrying, he was obedient. That's called faith. Even whenever we see everything that's going on around us and we believe God has called us to something, if we are obedient to what that is, even though there are things around us happening, that is faith. That is putting our trust in God. This is the messenger from God that is telling us to rejoice always. Paul certainly was worried about himself, but he knew where the source of joy was in the Lord. He knew that Jesus paid the ultimate price for his sin. He knew that this life is temporary and there is one that is coming. He even repeats himself to say, again, I say rejoice, because surely there were other people in the church of Philippi who said, yeah, but you don't know about what I'm dealing with. You don't know about what I'm going through. He says, again, I say rejoice. Walter Hansen says, a time of suffering is a time when rejoicing in the Lord is the only way to survive. You say that again, a time of suffering is a time when rejoicing in the Lord is the only way to survive. Looking around the room today and even thinking about our, our widow's lunch that we had just a couple days ago, there's people who have experienced great loss this year. People who are going through some rough times. And the joy of the Lord is the thing that's sustaining them and keeping them moving. That doesn't mean that every day is going to be good. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be some dark nights. But the joy of the Lord sustains us. And I want you to know today that God is with you and He cares for you. I was talking to somebody earlier today that has lost a child, another that lost a job, some that are mourning friendships today that have abruptly ended. I want you to know that God is walking through that with you. You are not alone. You are not alone. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. Jesus himself is petitioning the Father on your behalf. You are not alone. You have your church family that is here with you. Paul knew that the resurrection power of Jesus is our sustaining power. But notice how he continues in that verse. He says, let your reasonableness be known. That word can be translated as level-headed or even gentle. When we know who holds the world, we can not be impacted to a degree that somebody else would that doesn't know God. That word reasonableness, it's, it's even pointing to the reason that we have hope. A lot of times we talk about that when we talk about apologetics. But what hope do you have in you? Even in those rough times, you need to remind yourself to come to the Lord from a place of thanksgiving. There's a peace that is with beyond understanding. And that's an incredible thing. When we know that God is the source of joy, we're not bullied by the problems in life. We are steadfast in knowing who the giver of life is. Verse number six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love how Paul knows his audience so well here. He doesn't say, if you become anxious. He says, do not be anxious. 
He knows they're already anxious. They're already being torn in knowing who God is and seeing all the things that happen uh, in the world around them. And Paul knows that we are likely to drift into anxiety. That is something that is going to happen naturally. We don't naturally drift into peace, but he gives us some action steps here. There's not an exception to what we're going to be anxious about. Paul doesn't say you can be anxious about these things. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But then he gives us the action to come to God by prayer in supplication. That word supplication is just describing bringing a specific need to God, bringing a specific need to the throne of grace. What an honor that we have as followers of Jesus, that the God of the heavens and the earth hears our prayers and God cares for us. We also come with thanksgiving. This is just another reminder of perspective for us. If you were to go into the book of Psalms, I tell the students this very often, with the way that David's Psalms and specifically the Psalms of individual lament start, it starts off bad. Lord, the enemy is rising against me. The mountain is high. The storm is coming. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And then there's a shift whenever the Psalter starts reminding himself of who God is. But you are good. But you are with me. But you uh, put the stars in, in their place in the sky. But you are in control of all of these things. Whenever we pray and we bring our prayers to God, our worries don't become anxiety. They become songs of praise. And we have to lean into that, those moments of prayer. There's moments in life where everything can change in a second. Car accident, diagnosis, losing a job. I want you to remember that those things are precious to our God when we bring them to Him that he hears those things. God never feels like you're wasting his time when you petition his throne. That is an honor that we should be reminded of that we have. When we approach the throne of grace with perspective, it helps us zoom out and see that life is bigger than ourselves. And even this life that we're experiencing now is temporary. And that ends with a promise that we are given peace, the peace of God. This peace is a mystery we can't understand it. It's beyond understanding. As I was studying this week, what I found out was that this peace of God is not just a peace that we get from God. It is the peace that God experiences. I want you to think about this for just a second. God in His glory is totally at peace. God in His glory is totally at peace. He knows the future. He knows the past. He knows the present. God is impassable. That's just a word that means he is not ruled by his emotions. We learn about the impassibility of God in the book of Colossians. It's, and Paul is saying that if we bring what is unknown that is causing us anxiety and we make it known to God, we are given the peace of God that will guard our hearts and our minds. The only visual that I can come up with for how this would work is when I was starting seminary, I was working at a, I was a teller at a bank for, for a little bit. And in our town, uh, we found out the first lady was coming to visit one of the elementary schools to come do a, or like a reading program or something. As, as she was coming in, one day at the bank, somebody came in and they had some body armor and a lot of guns on 
And that's something that we were trained at the bank to freak out over, to hit buttons, to set off alarms. Something's not going on here. This isn't good, okay? This was not a uniform that I'd seen before. So he walked in and he was just kind of explaining to us that they, they needed to come check out our facility because the first lady was coming to town. So what I learned very quickly about when the Secret Service was setting up a perimeter, it's not just around the building. It's on down the road. There were snipers up on the Natchez Trace that were, that were setting up. They were ready for anything. They shut the interstate down. There was nothing that was going to get through them, okay? What if I told you that God could defend you better than the Secret Service can? The attacks that are known, the attacks that are unknown, the visible and the invisible, our God gives us peace. And here's the deal. It takes practice to live in that peace every single day to be prepared for whenever those attacks come. Reminded of the promise of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to carry all your problems and anxieties on your own. You can cast them at the foot of the cross. We've looked at thieves of joy. We've seen the source of joy. Now I want you to see some practical application that Paul gives us here. He teaches us how to live in joy. Last thing I want you to see, how to live in joy. Verse number eight, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think or dwell in these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives us a list of eight characteristics or descriptors that we should fix our minds on. And this week, this was really a part of digging into this passage that I had to slow down and read a little bit about because what I read kind of caught me off guard. As I read this, I thought he was explaining things that were of, of, of heavenly nature. But Paul is actually using words of Greek knowledge. In the schools, they would be teaching these kinds of things. And there is, there's a tension that, that, that I have with this because Jesus says you are in the world, but you should not be of the world. And Paul is not saying that we should be like the world here, but he is saying that God created the world. And in the world, there are things that reflect his nature. And these are the things that we need to be looking for. Paul's telling us that we don't need to dismiss the good things that God has put in front of us. There are times where God is at work around us and we just have to have the right perspective and we have to look up away from ourselves to see Him at work. These things that we meditate on, whatever is true, these are not just facts for the sake of facts, but God is truth. The things that He says are true. We should dwell on these things because they point us to hope, these are attributes of God, of His goodness. Who He is, is the truth that we should be dwelling on. We dwell on the things that are honorable. This is a call to live above reproach, a call to live in a better way, a call to live in a way that is worthy of respect of other people. This is not out of a legalistic mindset. We are obedient to God because God loves us and we, are, we love God. This is a desire to honor Jesus in everything that we do. We dwell on things that are just. 
And here's the deal. God is the perfect iteration of justice in life. Because somehow God saw you and me, people who are sinners, and he directed his wrath that we deserve onto Jesus, the only one who would be able to pay the debt that we owe. You couldn't pay it. I couldn't pay it. We couldn't collectively pay it. But Jesus was the only one who took that on himself. We dwell on that justice that we have, that justification that we have. Whatever is pure or blameless, I'm afraid that the notion of purity has gotten a bad spin on itself in the last 10 years or so. We are called to live holy lives that God has set us apart for. And there are times where people have misused that phrase or that idea of purity. And we need to be reminded that God calls us to live a set-apart life because He is holy. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. And we are called to live pure lives, to seek out the pure things in life. Your heart is the wellspring of life. And we have to do everything that we can to guard it. We have to be careful about the things that we allow into our minds the things we allow into our homes, the things that we allow in front of our children. Whatever is lovely, that just means whatever causes us delight in life. And what causes us delight is not something that just comes and goes. It's something that is much deeper than a momentary need. So what causes us delight in life? How about relationships and fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Because we toil through this life together, we encourage one another, knowing God, having these meaningful relationships that we have in life, a marriage that honors God, children that honor the Lord, raising them up in the ways that God has called us to. Those things are lovely. Those things cause us lasting delight. We should be focusing on those. Whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent. These are descriptors of everything else that is in this list. There are excellent things that we can set our minds to in life. And the most excellent thing that I can think of is by communicating the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. We should dwell on these things. Remember that joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. We're at peace with God when we live in His joy. The world tells us that if we limit our our thoughts to just what God says is excellent, that we're going to miss out on some things. And can I tell you that that is a lie that's as old as the beginning of time? God gave Adam and Eve one rule. One, don't eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. And Satan came along and said, did God really say what if, you, what if you did? What, what are you afraid of? And he used that fear against them. I love what Steve Lawson says about this. He says, if we don't protect our minds and our hearts, the day that sin moves in, peace moves out. Let me say that again. The day that sin moves in, peace moves out. Sin and peace cannot coexist in your heart. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. We can repent of those sins and be made right with God and be brought back into peace with God, 
or we can choose to be on this eternal rat race of finding the next thing that's going to give us some kind of fix of fulfillment that's ultimately fool's gold that has no value and that will be gone later. Or we can repent and be made right. Before we get to to kind of the closing, can I just say that there are a lot of people today that are dealing with anxieties and they're looking for every possible solution, but they've not taken it to the Lord. They've not considered whether or not they have sin in their life. Brothers and sisters, we need to examine ourselves and be honest, knowing that we cannot hide our sin from a holy God. We cannot hide our sin. We can imprison ourselves in sin. We can imprison ourselves in anxiety by allowing sin to exist into our lives, but we need to repent and be made right and experience the peace of God. Two different times in this passage is that promise given to us that we will experience the peace of God in our lives. I love that promise at the end of verse 9. The God of peace will be with you. My prayer for you this Advent season is that you and your family would experience joy, real, lasting joy, not something that would just be gone as soon as something else comes, that you would choose joy. Because some 2,000 years ago, God saw it fit to send Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, to be wrapped in swaddling cloths, That was the sign that God gave to the shepherds. And Bethlehem was the place that they would raise the sacrificial lambs that would be wrapped in the swaddling cloths to keep them blameless until the point where they were used as a sacrifice. Those swaddling cloths were representative of the perfect blemish-free life that Jesus would live because he is the holy, uncreated one who came to the earth. God in the flesh, the incarnation of Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas But the reason that we celebrate his coming is not that he was born into the world, but that he gave his life on the cross for us so that we could experience life eternal and that we could live in the joy of his resurrection. That is what we celebrate joy on Christmas for. Can we stand together? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask Pastor Tim to to come up and, and, and close out the service, but let's pray together. God, in this moment, we are reminded of your goodness and your holiness. God, we thank you for life and breath that is in our lungs. God, I pray for every one in the room who's dealing with anxiety or depression. God, we pray that you would deliver them from that. That they would be able to experience joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that we would experience the peace of God. Lord, I pray for the person in the room who has a sin problem in their life, who's feeling at odds with where they stand with you, God. May they repent of that and draw near to you. Lord, we pray that you would protect us from the thieves of joy, from conflict, from comparison, from coveting. God, we pray that you would satisfy our souls today. 
that we be reminded of the source of joy that is in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we would live a life in freedom and in your joy. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.